Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. A big day as we uh, get the announcement today on the next round of market facilitation program payments. We'll be talking a lot about that on tomorrow's program. But today, we're going to get reaction from Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, to news that... EPA ignored recommendations from the Department of Energy on small refinery exemptions. And we'll talk about that with Jeff Cooper. We'll also get some reaction to that as well from Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. And we'll also talk to him about what looks like um, probably another missed opportunity to get a tax extenders package done, and that would include a biodiesel tax credit. Did not happen in the budget deal, and now we're about to get to the August recess, so it's looking less and less likely, but we'll talk about that to get an update from Don L. Rehagen with the National Biodiesel Board. Also, the push is on for USMCA. We'll talk with Director of the uh, Coalition Farmers for Free Trade, Brian Keel, about their efforts to push USMCA across the finish line. But right now, we're going to start things off with Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Phil, thanks for joining us on a day with lots going on. I see there's a, a Senate Ag Committee hearing on hemp underway, and some pretty big names are there. Yeah, yeah. Um, the colleague covering that, yeah, this is a it's kind of a first. Have a big hearing on focus exclusively on industrial hemp. We got the uh, top officials from uh, FDA and USDA are involved in this, as well as, as, well as a key official from EPA and uh, folks in the industry as well. Uh, of course, I think the industry people really want to hear from, uh, uh, really wanted to hear from the uh, uh, departments and the agencies. Well, you have Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell weighing in on this too. Yeah, well, he's the whole. He's the main reason that industrial hemp is now uh, can be legally produced nationwide. He insisted on this is a big deal for him and his uh, farmers in Kentucky, and he made sure this got in the farm bill, and he made sure the farm bill got across the line. So, uh, you know, I had uh, Senate Ag Chairman Pat Roberts tell me that uh, at one time, way back in 2018, uh, um, that uh, the reason that the farm bill was going to pass, he was sure was because of, uh, and he spelled out the letters, H-E-M-P. Yeah. Well, hemp has, you know, there's a lot of interest in it, a lot of curiosity. There's also a lot of uh, skepticism by some. But uh, we know more getting into it or into growing it or at least looking into it. But there are so many questions, and uh, uh, there there needs to be more certainty, I think, before some people are going to really look at it seriously. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest questions, that's why the FDA uh, official was important for this hearing. One of the big questions has been um, when FDA is going to legalize the use of CBD or cannabidiol in, uh, in uh, food and uh, dietary supplements. Uh, it's not legal now. Um, and uh, it, their process of... Uh, going through and uh, making sure it's safe is, is a laborious one. Could take uh, could take several years. And uh, obviously, that's a big, very important market for hemp. 
Meanwhile, a story that uh, you have been uh, covering this week, uh, when we look at efforts to get federal agencies to streamline the biotech regs, uh, they say they're going to do it, but uh, we're not sure when. Right. Well, the USDA is uh, really the farthest along as far as the time table everything. They've come out with regulations that would really exempt a lot of uh, these new gene-edited uh, products from regulation or allow companies uh, to self-determine whether they're subject to regulations. Basically, the way these uh, rules are written is that uh, if it can be produced by uh, conventional breeding methods, then it uh, uh, shouldn't be regulated by USDA. But, of course, we have two other agencies involved, too, Food and Drug Administration and Environmental Protection Agency and, and many of these products. Uh, they are moving as well to streamline some things. Uh, the FDA, which has animal uh, oversight over animals, isn't going nearly as far, at least not yet, and that's a big concern to the uh, livestock industry. Yeah. Who has oversight? Uh, who pl- plays the key roles in that? Those are big issues, and usually ag groups would rather see USDA with the oversight than FDA. Uh, well, this is partly you have a – we don't have a single food safety agency, as uh, it's probably well known. We have uh, – FDA has got a lot of responsibility, uh, actually well, more of the food supply, actually, and um, this uh, responsibility for uh, safety of biotech and biotech regulation is uh, – divided really among these three agencies. They each have a a piece, depending on the uh, product, depending on the uh, use. You know, for years there have been those that have called for a single food safety agency, and, um, you know, nothing's really happened there. I wonder if we're getting closer to that or not. I don't see any. There's a lot of reasons that it's going to be very difficult to do it. A big one is uh, jurisdiction in Congress. Uh, committees don't like to give up jurisdiction. There's one committee with jurisdiction over FDA, ad committee with jurisdiction over USDA, and another <laughs> committee with jurisdiction over EPA. Uh, that alone makes it difficult to uh, difficult to do. And there's you know there's going to be different concerns in the industry about the you know which which department or which agency they're under as well. So it's it's a, it's a we're a long way from that. Meanwhile, trade talks next week in China. We know that U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin will be going to China next week. And it looks like when we look at at least what's been released publicly, the agenda and the items on the agenda, uh, agriculture will be front and center. It is. It is. Um, And then there's uh, also some optimism about uh, a second follow-up around back uh, back in D.C., of course, we've been through this before. We've back to back rounds, and um, uh, you know it's uh, and, and we are where we are. So we'll see. Uh, there's a little more optimism probably this week than there was uh, last week or, or a month ago. But uh, we we saw another uh, uh, relatively small, but another purchase of soybeans by a private company in China. A little bit of progress there as well. Uh, Of course, the president has been talking a lot about uh, claiming China and fulfilling its commitments. So we'll see. Uh, But uh, we do have a couple of, at least one, probably two rounds coming up. Yeah, we've been down this road so many times in the last year. People get their hopes up, and then uh, you kind of 
have them quashed, and then you, it's like riding a roller coaster. I said yesterday, it's kind of like, uh, you know, crying wolf. After a while, you just kind of get to where you, you just kind of, you're, you'll just wait and see. You'll believe it when you, when you see it, right? So uh, we'll see right, what, right. what may or may not get done this time around. All right. Thanks a lot, Phil. Appreciate the update. Yep. Glad to be here. Thanks. Bill Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. So the Department of Energy made recommendations to EPA and the small refinery exemptions that evidently EPA ignored. We'll talk about that with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff Cooper joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95... I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, each month we get the latest ag equipment sales numbers from Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Uh, What's the headline from this month's report? Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. The headline for the June report, as we look at this being halfway through the year, is for the year we're looking pretty good for uh, for equipment sales. But for the month of June, we saw some uh, we saw some declines compared to where we were this time last year. And I think that's a pretty good indication of these storm clouds we've been talking about for the last few months. That uh, a little bit of pain out there in farm country, and we recognize it, whether it's weather related or or uncertainties around trade. Is that uh, I think there's some there's some real hesitation for uh, for farmers to uh, to really make that final purchase decision on their on their equipment in uh, in the month of June. There's some positive in, uh, news in there, but it's still sort of that that cautious optimism that we continue to talk about. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably. It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Joined now by the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, who I know is feeling better about our Cardinals these days. Right, Jeff? Oh, you got it, Mike. I think we've won 10 out of the last 12 games, so things are looking up here in St. Louis. Finally, yes. All right, I know you're not feeling so good about uh, these small refinery exemptions. Um, we're learning more and more about uh, about them and what how EPA came to those decisions. And now we've learned that EPA basically ignored some recommendations from the Department of Energy in granting some of those waivers. That's right, Mike. And, and it seems like uh, with every layer of this onion we peel back on small refiner exemptions, we just keep finding that the core of that onion is is more and more rotten than we we even thought. So I yeah, we 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 got a letter uh earlier this week from the Department of Energy to Senator Grassley in response to an inquiry uh Senator Grassley made all the way back in April. I'm just asking what's going on at DOE and and asking about DOE's role in uh recommending whether to grant these exemptions or not. So Secretary Perry uh, did send a letter back uh, to the senator, and it confirmed what we had uh, thought was the case and, and confirmed some of the news reports that have been out there. Uh, and it basically showed that EPA has, in fact, uh, ignored recommendations from the Department of Energy on whether to grant these small refiner exemptions or not. And, and in, in one case, uh, DOE says it had recommended against giving any sort of relief or any exemption at all, and EPA overruled that recommendation and, and gave one anyway. Uh, and then there are, you know, many more cases where DOE had recommended partial exemptions and EPA gave full exemptions. So, you know, the reason this is kind of important is because uh, EPA historically, and certainly former administrator Scott Pruitt, you know, had said over and over, hey, our hands are tied. We have to do what DOE recommends and, and we have to follow their guidance. Uh, well, now we know uh, that that just isn't true, and it's uh, just another another line of uh, uh, BS from, from EPA. And earlier they had said they had to follow uh, a court ruling, and then we find out they were granting waivers before the ruling was even handed down. So there's a, another excuse that they've given yep. that has proven not to be true. Well, that's right, and, and it, I, I think this just underscores again the real problem we have with all of this is just the utter lack of transparency. Uh, nobody knows what's going on behind the curtain um, at DOE, at EPA, um, at the White House in relation to these small refiner exemptions. And, and that, just, that just isn't good government when we don't have any idea, the public doesn't have any, any oversight or any ability, any visibility into this decision-making process. Um, it just, uh, you know, it, it, it reeks of uh, special favors and, and handouts to, to folks uh, in, the, in the dark of night that, uh, you know, again, it's just not, uh, not something we, we should expect uh, from our government. And we feel like, uh, you know, these agencies need to be held accountable uh, for these decisions. Um, so, you know, again, that's why we have uh, made Freedom of Information Act requests and, and we're suing EPA and, and there's lots of outcry, as you know, Mike, uh, just to 
bring some more transparency and more visibility into this entire process. And now we have the small refiners, some of them threatening to sue EPA over, uh, it seems like they're getting the breaks, but they they want even more. Yeah, they, they do. They, they have uh, uh, indicated to EPA that they may sue the agency if it doesn't hurry up and grant uh, these 38 pending uh, exemption requests for 2018. Um, you know, and, and we think they ought to be careful in what they, what they ask for. Um, you know, that, that could very well backfire on them. And, you know, if they, if they really want EPA to, to rush out some decisions on these exemptions, uh, you know, it's our position that EPA really has no choice uh, other than to deny uh, most or all of these exemption requests that are currently pending. And, and we think that's what they should do. And, and uh, yeah, it'd be great if they did that, you know, sometime soon. But, uh, again, I, I think the threat from the refiners of, of suing EPA uh, for delaying these decisions is, is just beyond the pale. So when do we expect to learn more? Well, I would, I would think in the next few weeks we're probably going to have uh, some more clarity around where this next round of, of exemption requests is, is headed. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, there are 38 pending requests sitting on Administrator Wheeler's desk today. Um, we know that those uh, pending uh, waiver applications have been the subject of, of several meetings between USDA and EPA and, and DOE and the White House. Um, and so there's been a lot of discussion around uh, a way forward uh, on, on this round of petitions. I, I think we all know the damage done by the, the last round uh, when EPA issued 54 exemptions from the 2016 and 2017 standards. We're still reeling from the, uh, the impact of those decisions today. Our market conditions are, are just flat-out awful in the ethanol industry, and, and so we, we, we've got to avoid another round of that. Uh, so we're hopeful, Mike, that uh, sometime in the next few weeks we'll, we'll have some uh, decisions out of EPA, and, and we're uh, very hopeful that those decisions are to deny uh, most or all of these uh, exemption requests. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. You uh, uh, referred to the uh, the situation, the financial situation right now for the ethanol industry. It's not good. Kind of give us an update of where we stand. Well, on average, uh, you know, our producers are, are losing money today. Uh, operating a negative, uh, margins are, are, are negative. Um, and so we, we have uh, plants that are, that are losing money. We just saw an announcement this morning from a plant in Iowa uh, that it is, is temporarily idling production. Um, we've seen 11 plants, uh, idle, well, 12 now, idle production, and three plants permanently close their doors uh, since the beginning of last year. And, and we think a lot of that has to do with the softer demand we're, we're finding in the domestic market uh, because of these small refiner exemptions. Um, also, of course, you know, the trade wars with, with uh, China and the fact that we're not exporting any product to that market is, is also a significant factor. So uh, things are not great in, in, in ethanol country, and, um, you know, putting an end uh, to these small refiner exemptions or at least ensuring that any exempted volumes are redistributed uh, would, would go a long way in, in helping to uh, get our industry back on its feet. Kind of a double whammy. There was so much optimism uh, about exports, and that yeah. was maybe hoped to kind of 
carry through uh, rough domestic times as we dealt with the refinery issues and things. But then the double whammy of having the trade uh, war with China right at the same time, that's what it, it's just uh, it's hard to find a bright spot there. It, it really is, Mike, and it's it's been um, it's been it's been tough because, you know, as you said, we in the past when things have been uh, rough in the domestic market, we've been able to offset a lot of that pain uh, through increased exports. Um, it's hard to do that when, you know, one of our largest markets is completely closed to our product. And when we have, you know, other markets like Colombia and Peru and, and now Brazil, um, you know, erecting trade barriers as well. And so, uh, yeah, exports we were hoping would see, you know, continued growth at exports this year. We were initially thinking 1.8 to 2 billion gallons of exports. Uh, we've since, you know, kind of tempered that expectation and, and think it's probably closer to a billion and a half gallons. Um so yeah, it's uh, things are things are pretty rough in, in both the international market and and domestically here as well, and that's beginning to take a toll on on the ethanol industry. And as you've pointed out, even though you got the good news with the E15 uh, announcement, uh, all these other factors have more than offset that. Yeah, and we and we we've always said E15 is a longer term play, and it and it is a hugely important step and something that had to happen, and we're grateful that that's been um, you know addressed. Uh, but, you know, we're expecting about 50 million gallons of new demand from year-round E15 over the next 12-month period. 50 million gallons. That compares to about 2.1 billion gallons of demand loss uh, through the small refiner exemptions, uh, as well as, you know, two or 300 million gallons of demand loss from, from the Chinese uh, you know, to, uh, trade wars with China and, and, the, and the fact that we're not able to export to that country. So um, the scales are, are definitely uh, not balanced, and E15 is, is a helpful step, but uh, it, it does really hardly anything to offset the demand loss we're feeling from these other, other issues. All right, Jeff, thanks for the update. All right, thank you, Mike. You bet. President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. We'll talk more about uh, those small refinery exemptions later with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. But up next, we'll talk trade with Brian Keel, director of the Farmers for Free Trade Coalition. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Stress less in a minute from the American Ag Network. We are talking with Monica McConkie with Prairie St. John's and Eyes on the Horizon Consulting. This week, she tells us the signs you're becoming overly stressed. If you find yourself really departing from your baseline functioning, then it's time to pay attention. Or if you see this in someone else. So if normally you would be able to sleep, you maintain a decent appetite, you are having coffee with the guys at Senex every morning or you're at church on Sundays, and you start to notice a departure from that. And you find yourself thinking, you know, I used to be able to do this or I used to enjoy doing this, and you're losing some of that in your life, 
then it's time to really pay attention because those are warning signs and red flags. That's Monica McConkie. This is Stress Less in a Minute from the American Ag Network. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Raw for the American Ag Network. In what was the lightest volume day of the trading week, corn finished lower Wednesday and it's mixed an hour into the trading session. On Wednesday, ethanol provided yet another bearish input with production falling 2.6% on poor margins to 305 million gallons versus the 313 million gallons the previous week with rumors of plant closures in various media stories. Soybeans continue to move mostly sideways. U.S. soy exports remain well behind the year-ago levels and even new crop soy sales are the lowest in 13 years. Wheat continues to move in a choppy fashion. Wheat strength on Wednesday was not only tied to extreme heat wave in Europe and a reduction in Russian wheat production by a crop consultant, but also talks of freeze damage on Brazil's wheat crop. Cattle trade is higher on the Board of Trade, while lean hog futures are still trying to find footing after surging higher the last two weeks. August lean hogs are up 65 cents at 87.20. August feeders up 55 at 143.37. August live cattle up a dime at $109 per hundredweight. For the grain and oilseed sector, August soybeans down four and a quarter of a cent at 8.86 and three quarters. September corn down a penny and three quarters at 4.22 and a quarter of a cent. Minneapolis spring wheat September down a fraction of a cent at 5.21 and a half. Kansas City wheat September up a penny and a half at 4.41. Chicago wheat September down three quarters of a cent at 4.97. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 96 points. The Nasdaq composite down 50. Crude oil in New York is up 50 cents at 56.35. The S&P is up 14 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Rawl for the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk about USMCA and getting it passed this year. Some... uh, Observers say the fact that there's a budget agreement, now that helps kind of clear the way for getting USMCA passed this year. Others, though, say there's don't get in too big a hurry because there still have to be some things worked out between the administration 
and uh, House Democrats. Let's talk about it now with Director of the Farmers for Free Trade Coalition, Brian Keel. Brian, thanks for joining us. Good to talk with you again. Um, what's your assessment of where we're at with USMCA? What are you hearing in Washington, D.C.? Well, we're, we're hearing that sep- September is really going to be the crunch time, uh, and there's a lot of work that has to happen over the month of August. Um, you're absolutely right. There are a couple of issues uh, that are outstanding. Uh, those relate to enforceability of, of labor provisions and some issues related to drug pricing. Those seem to be the two big ones that everyone's talking about. And they're, uh, they're important issues. I'm not sure I'd call them big issues in the sense that I think, I think they are resolvable. And I think the Democrats and, and the White House are both working in good faith to try to resolve those issues. So we're, we're hopeful we'll get a bill to the floor in September. It would seem, it appears anyway, that uh, there have been good talks, good communication between the administration and House Democrats on this issue. It does, yeah. I think House Democrats are very pleased with Ambassador Lighthizer's uh, responsiveness. You know, he's uh, in charge of trade issues, and he's been up on the Hill working this very hard. Uh, I think the White House has not uh, not tried to jam the bill. Uh, you know, there was some sense they might really try to put the pressure on, which I don't think would have been productive. I think this is these issues are addressable and solvable, and, and it seems like everyone's working toward that common goal. And, and on behalf of agriculture, we certainly hope that's what's happening. Well, as we go into the August recess for Congress, that's a time when they're back home in their districts uh, talking with uh, constituents, talking with voters. Good time to kind of press the issue with them, right, about the importance of USMCA. That's that's absolutely correct, and, and that's certainly what Farmers for Free Trade is doing. Uh, your, your listeners by now have heard many, many reports on the motorcade for trade, our RV that we've been driving across the country. Uh, we hit 15,000 miles this week of, uh, of driving on behalf of USMCA. Uh, we had a great event with uh, Congressman Newhouse in Washington State at Tri-Cities Grain. Um, that was just a, a few days ago. Um, and uh, now we're pointing the RV east, and we'll be at uh, Minnesota Farm Fest, Iowa State Fair, Illinois State Fair, and Illinois Farm Progress through the month of August. Um, so look for us at those events, and uh, come say hi to us, and we can talk about how everyone can help the USMCA. Yeah, I'll be seeing you at some of those. And uh, uh, what has been the response uh, as you've as the motorcade has made its way across the country? You know, it's been it's been very heartening. I mean, part of part of what's been heartening is just it's an it's an opportunity to get into small towns all across America, talk with talk with folks, hardworking folks in agriculture who really care about these trade agreements and understand why trade is so important to U.S. agriculture. Uh, folks seem to understand USMCA, that it's, you know, it's not a brand-new, you know, amazing trade deal. It's, it's building on NAFTA. NAFTA was a huge success for U.S. agriculture. USMCA takes that success and improves it slightly around uh, dairy provisions, some wine provisions, some grain provisions, uh, uh, certainly sanitary and phytosanitary standards. So, it's, it's an improvement on NAFTA, uh, and I think most people get that NAFTA was really critical for U.S. agriculture. So, so I think Democrats and Republicans alike that we've met with have been, have been supportive and responsive. And that, I was going to ask you that. That's the key. Do you feel there's enough bipartisan support for this? I do. Now, you know, having said that, we're, we're rolling through ag country. That's what we do, and, uh, and I'm sure there are folks 
on both sides of the aisle who are not in ag country who may not be as in tune with why this is an important deal. Um, but certainly the folks we're meeting with uh, in farm communities, you know, whether it's the Midwest or Texas and the Southwest or up through California, you know, everywhere people seem to get it. Um, we've had a great response uh, with people reaching out to their members of Congress. And if I can make a, a quick plug for something every listener can do, um, if you text the phrase USMCA space letter, uh, so that's two words, USMCA letter, and you text it to the number 52886, you can add your name to a sign-on letter that we're coordinating. We have about 1,200 farmers who have signed that letter so far. We'd like to get that up to 5,000 by the end of the August recess. Uh, so if you text USMCA letter to 52886, It'll give you a link. You can add your name into that letter, and, uh, and that'll go to Congress in September. We'll deliver that in mass, show that U.S. agriculture is really behind this trade agreement. Really important for it to get done this year, right? You get into next year uh, and the presidential election everything, wow, uh, it'll really be tough. So it's important to get it done this year. That's right. It's and and it's important to emphasize how narrow the window is. You know, we had hoped to have the bill done by by August recess, which obviously isn't going to happen. That's that's on us now. Um, so now the goal is get it done in September. If you don't get it done in September, maybe you've got a couple weeks in October where you could get it done. But but after that, boy, you're in the silly season. You know, you're into the holidays. You're into campaigns. It's not going to get done in 2020. And I think that would be devastating for agriculture. It would send a signal that this country can't pull together in a bipartisan fashion when it really matters. And it would call into question the administration's ability to, to negotiate and then pass trade agreements with other countries, Japan or, or others, that we need to be moving forward with. We're talking with Brian Keel from Farmers for Free Trade. Brian, meanwhile, uh, next week there will be more talks between the U.S. and China. Uh, we, we've seen and heard these before and we've kind of been led along here but uh, at least they're talking and it looks like agriculture will be at the forefront yeah i think i think everyone's nervous and rightly so uh, you know the the when the trade war started over a year ago went into place you know everyone the kind of the catchphrase was short-term pain for long-term gain and I think people are getting skeptical that, hey, it's not short-term pain. We, we all know it's gone on for a and, and I think there's some skepticism that we're going to see much long-term gain out of this deal. Uh, you know, China's really dug in. The U.S. is dug in. They're both whacking each other over the head. Um, and as we've traveled around the country talking about USMCA, you know, farmers time and time again are saying, we need to get USMCA done and we need to get these tariffs rolled back. Because uh, the tariffs are just are, are just hurting agriculture across the board. Yeah, and as you said, over a year now into this. Meanwhile, it looks like some positive news uh, happening with Japan. We could see a trade deal with them soon. Yes, that would that would certainly cause everyone a, a good sigh of relief. You know, kind of the same way that we'd like to get U.S. Mexico done because it would stabilize and, and improve export opportunities. If we can get Japan, a, a bilateral with Japan done, that would be great. You know, you recall that the administration pulled us out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which included Japan. So for the last two years, really, 11 other countries, Canada, Mexico, Australia, they've all been in a free trade agreement with multiple countries, including Japan. We've been on the sidelines. So 
getting a bilateral with Japan would be a huge improvement. It would regain some of what we lost when we pulled out of TPP. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't replace TPP. You know, we're still not in a trade agreement with Vietnam, for example, or some of these other countries that TPP would have relate would have uh, represented. Uh, but if we can get a deal with Japan, that would certainly be a good thing. Well, we've been talking about these issues for some time now. We need some positive results. Hopefully, we'll get them soon. Again, uh, for folks that uh, uh, want to weigh in on USMCA, how can they go about that? Tell us how to text and do that. Okay, so the phone number you're going to text to is, is a short number. It's 52886. So text to that phone number, and you text the phrase USMCA space letter. So two words, USMCA letter. Uh, just text that, and it'll send you a link. It'll bring up a copy of the letter. You can read what the letter says, and it's very easy to add your name onto it if you'd like to. And, again, we'd like to get 5,000 farmers signing that letter and deliver that to Congress in September. And meanwhile, the, your motorcade's going to start headed east, uh, making your way back across the country, right? That's right. We'll be throughout the Midwest in August, and then we're actually planning a big rally uh, for September 12th in Washington, D.C. We've applied for permits to bring the, the RV on to Capitol grounds, and we'd like to invite every member of Congress that's met with us on this tour, which is now north of 30 or 40 members of Congress, like to get them all to come out and welcome the RV back into D.C. as a show of uh, support for getting this trade bill done in September. So September 12th, you'll be doing that uh, on the Capitol grounds in D.C. And, of course, as you said, September, the key month for getting some legislative action on USMCA. If everyone signs that letter, we'll, we'll deliver that letter in person to D.C. Uh, when we arrive there in September. All right. Well, safe travels to you, and uh, I'll see you um, somewhere probably here in Illinois when you make your way across, okay? All right. Looking forward to it, Mike. Thanks so much for all you do. Take care, Brian. Brian Bye. Keel, Director for Farmers for Free Trade, as they continue to uh, push uh, for USMCA. And uh, as he said, it, we're... We'll be going into this August recess time, a chance for you to talk with your member of Congress, and uh, then uh, when they get back in September, that would be a key month to try to get the deal passed. A lot of concerns for the biodiesel industry. We heard about the concerns of the ethanol industry earlier. Next, we'll talk biodiesel with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Donnell Rehagen, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply health care coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. 
If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patient's need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. And joining us now, Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. Robert, good to talk with you on this National Hot Dog Day. Okay, what do you put on your hot dog? I'm simple. I'm just a relish guy. Just relish. Just relish. See, I, I'm I'm mustard, ketchup, and relish. And I know some people just can't understand ketchup on there. So you you don't go mustard or ketchup. What's up with that? Well, I like to like to be easy, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Every time I put relish on mine, it winds up all over me usually. But uh, I figured you were the loaded dog guy, you know. But you're you're going well, basic, I, very simple. Yeah, I do like them all. Uh, Chicago's a little over the top for me, but um, I I will take a hot dog however it's handed. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. 
I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, Congress and the White House reaching a budget deal is uh, good news, but it's also, though, a missed opportunity uh, for a tax extenders uh, package and something to be done with things like the biodiesel tax credit. And now we're about to head into the August recess for Congress, so it's looking less and less likely. Let's talk about that with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Donnell Rehagen. Donnell, disappointed, I'm sure, that the, the still we haven't got that tax extenders done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, disappointment is uh, is the name of the game, and we're we are disappointed. It's been uh, a long period we've been waiting for this, and uh, continue to, and we keep getting these strong signals that this is going to happen, going to happen, and then at the last minute it always seems to fall apart. So what's next? Is there a chance? Or I mean, as I said, they're going to the August recess. Doesn't look like it's going to get done before then. No, it doesn't. Uh, this was a good opportunity, we believe, and it just wasn't something the uh, House leadership and the Senate leadership could get together on and, and figure out a way to make tax extenders part of this uh, budget cap deal. And so it looks like we're going to go through this August recess and uh, wait for them to come back in, the, uh, in September and see what they, uh, what they have then. We do know there's going to be a couple of opportunities through appropriations bills. Obviously, the government needs to be funded past October 1st. So uh, those discussions are going to have to happen in September, and we're going to be all over that. As we've discussed before, the biodiesel industry has a strong message here, a strong story uh, for why there, you should get the tax credit. But what's holding it back? I mean, is it other things in the, in the package, or what is it that makes it so hard to get this done? No, actually, you know, I think most of the provisions in the package, in the tax extenders package, there's about 25 of them. Uh, you know, all have pretty broad uh, bipartisan and bicameral support. So we're frustrated with why uh, something that seems to be, uh, you know, across both parties uh, seems to struggle. Uh, but it always seems to come up as part of a package that they don't want to put more onto. They don't want to load more things onto. So they're trying to keep it, keep them streamlined. And that was the situation with uh, the budget cap deal. In order to get that done, short period of time, we're going to keep it clean. That was the message that we were hearing. So you continue to work on it, and meanwhile, uh, the biodiesel industry, as is the ethanol industry, is struggling right now. We talked earlier with Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association about uh, what we've learned now more about uh, how EPA has granted these uh, small refinery exemptions to the renewable fuel standard. And as we've talked before, these have hurt uh, not only the ethanol industry, but probably even more the biodiesel industry. Now we learn that EPA ignored the recommendations of the Department of Energy in some cases in granting these waivers, whereas before EPA was saying, uh, you know, they, they, were, they were going by the Department of Energy's recommendations. Seems like we learn more and more that uh, what EPA has told us 
as their justification for those exemptions uh, just not true? Well, I think, uh, yeah, what we're learning is what we've been suspecting for the last several years, that this EPA is uh, trying very hard to find ways to, uh, to help out the petroleum refiners at the expense of renewable fuel producers. And uh, it's exactly what the RFS was intended to do, was to establish some stability and some growth patterns uh, for the renewable fuels industry. And again, this EPA is doing exactly the opposite. So very disheartening to hear that it confirmed what we suspected, though, is that uh, there were, there are some shenanigans going on. And we're glad that we have such strong supporters in Congress who are looking into that and trying their best to hold this EPA accountable to congressional intent on the RFS. Former Senator Dorgan told us uh, uh, just a few days ago, and he was in on the writing of the RFS, that what's happening now with the RFS is not what Congress intended when they wrote it. Well, I'm glad to hear him say it, and I know the senator very well, and I've heard him say it many times before, because uh, that's one of the things the EPA suggests that they're not sure of. They're not just exactly sure that Congress, what Congress intended or that they intended to have year-on-year growth. We know they did. Uh, that would be the only reason for establishing a renewable fuel standard. So, uh, you know, we really need to get uh, the EPA to, to understand where the renewable fuel industry fits in the nation's energy infrastructure, what we bring to the table, both in, in the form of energy, but also in jobs and rural development, and a, a cleaner, better product, quite frankly. We heard earlier about the troubles in the ethanol industry, some plants shutting down, others cutting back. Uh, what's the situation in the biodiesel industry? Well, what we've been saying for the last several months is, is coming to fruition. Uh, just within the last couple of weeks, there's been announcements of a couple of plant closures, uh, one in Nebraska. Uh, that cost about 45 people their jobs. Uh, and then, then just yesterday, uh, Renewable Energy Group announced the closure of a plant that they have in Texas. I think there's about 30-some jobs associated with that. So, uh, And again, they, they indicated the tax credit was a very critical element of that decision and that need to close that plant. You know, I think uh, everyone has to understand the way our tax credit works, that uh, right now our biodiesel producers are footing a large amount of that dollar-a-gallon bill that the government hasn't yet paid on. Uh, that's just the way this tax credit works for the biodiesel industry, a dollar on every gallon. So when you go back for now 18 months worth of biodiesel production, you know, millions and millions of gallons, that is millions and millions of dollars. So. That's lost working capital, and, and uh, so it's really, really having a negative impact on biodiesel producers. And I'm afraid what we've seen over the last couple of weeks uh, is uh, not the worst uh, that we'll see here in the future. Yeah, it certainly has an impact on the rural economy, and uh, there, there, uh, there, there are a lot of layers to this, and uh, that's why this tax credit is, is so important to get it done. Well, Donnell, thank you. I wish we had better news, but thanks for the update uh, and where we're at on this. Thank you. You're very welcome. Appreciate your time. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. With that, we're going to wrap things up for today. Tomorrow, we'll talk a lot about the, the latest in the market facilitation program payments, get reaction to that, and much, much more. Lots going on here as we draw to the close of the month of July and the Congress heads into that August recess. So we'll keep you up to date right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone.
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.